Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. And welcome back to the FBF Podcast. This is Matt Chatham, joined by Brady Quinn. Excited to get into this thing a little bit. Christmas is sort of on the horizon for all of us. It's been a weird week in the NFL. You come through a big weekend of games, and then sort of Christmas is looming. And, and guys like Brady and I, we got to work in the media, and we also got to go to a, 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 a pile of Christmas parties and then also start to get ready for Christmas shopping, do all of our media duties, and then still get ready for an early weekend of games. We've got a Thursday game tonight and Saturday, really a full schedule. So it's a chaotic week for us media guys, and I shouldn't be complaining. But Brady, how's it going, man? It's going well. I actually, yeah, we, I, we were both talking last night. We both had Christmas parties. I made the mistake, being a first-time father, of trying to take my child to that Christmas party. Wow. Thinking that, ah, oh, it's okay. We'll just, uh, we'll, we'll try to, you know, we'll, it'll be close to her bedtime, but we'll try to see how she handles it. She didn't handle it overly well, so we weren't there very long, <laughs> uh, but long enough to say hello to everyone and happy holidays, Merry Christmas. So it was a learning experience, uh, to say the least, but we're looking forward to Christmas for sure. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's a cool time uh, of year, especially as an NFL player, which I, obviously neither of us are anymore. But uh, it, it is kind of a we we exist in sort of a different universe as players, and it, because this is an exciting time for everyone, and people are out there doing their shopping, getting ready for the family visits, getting ready to plan everything around those games that we inevitably played in, uh, and it's just always you kind of you're you're kind of the I don't like this phrase. I'm trying to think of a different word, but you're you're the performer in the cage kind of thing. You, all all of Christmas is kind of going on around you as a player, and you're preparing off in sort of the dark shadows over at the stadiums to get ready to entertain everyone on on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve. But fortunately for me, this year we have a, a Christmas Eve game with the Patriots that we have, that I have to work, and it's a one o'clock game. So you get a you get TV done in pregame, and you get postgame done, and then you know it's five six o'clock you can head off to do. Do the do your family stuff, but did you ever happen to fall on on Christmas Day or or travel on Christmas Day or ever get caught where where you couldn't be around family? Yeah, I mean, you know, whether it was um, you know, either back in college, I mean, I had that I had that where I had to travel on Christmas Day, so that was nothing new when I got in the NFL. But definitely practice, definitely a couple times where we were traveling, where we had to play the following day, and you know, at the end of the day, I always felt lucky. I mean, a lot of people, um, you know, it's a family time, it, it's time. You know, to be with your loved ones and all that and kind of enjoy it in the holiday season. But for me, like, what, what could be better than everyone in the world watching you at right. home while you're playing on Christmas? Or you're having the opportunity to kind of go do that even the day before or the day after. So I always kind of felt lucky. Like, I, I kind of honestly, I get goosebumps thinking about it. There's right. just something about when everyone else is doing one thing and you're doing the other, but they're all watching you. There's something about that. Maybe... I don't know. Maybe that sounds um, a little bit, a little bit egotistical, but there was something about it playing the sport on that particular holiday to me that I kind of wanted to feed off that and kind of love that. Yeah, I, I, I think those those same experiences for me sort of taught me to care less about the calendar uh, and, and more about finding the time to celebrate what it was that would have been on that day. You know, it's like okay, in my world, we didn't necessarily our world, we didn't necessarily get to do Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving. It might've been the next night, you know, it, uh, and I, we probably are a little reckless with this in our family now with birthdays too. It's like, yeah, your birthday's on such and such date, but it's much better for the rest of us if we celebrate it next week or the week before <laughs> and it's, it's and, it, and Christmas kind of became a little like that too, or we actually do this in our family where, uh, you know, if it, 
hit that way, you know, we're all going to open presents on the, the 23rd or the 27th or, or whatever it would have been. And it's a little weird because it's like the world is going on around you on a little bit different schedule than you. But I kind of became acclimated to it where it just it didn't bother me at all. Christmas was the moment you decided it to be Christmas. I mean, it wasn't necessarily, hey, God was born at this minute. We need to all be sitting at the table at this minute. It was it was less about that and more about picking a time where we could all be together to celebrate it the right way. So it just it sort of changes your frame of mind. But as a player, you got to get fired up and you got to, as all this stuff is going on around you, you know, in our particular case here at in Foxborough, you know, there's a lot of shopping around the stadium. So as, as that time draws near, you're pulling into the stadium to go to practice and, and route one, which out here in front of the stadium might be packed. A Patriots place might be packed all, all because it's a big shopping center. So you're basically, you're, you're waiting through that stuff to go, you know, to yeah. go tape up and play, play football or whatever. And everyone else is out there trying to get that final piece of jewelry or candle or chocolate box or whatever it is. So it is, it's, it's just a different experience that, uh, you know, I guess players have and sort of appreciate it a different way. So let's dive into here to sort of some of the stories. And this is kind of a weird week, I guess, for us beyond just the Christmas stuff and that we probably have more than enough stuff here to talk off the field than to even get on the field. It was one of those weird weeks, but we will touch on some of the upcoming games at the end of the show. But initially, there's been three, four big stories that kind of dominated headlines and it didn't just live in the NFL world. College got involved as well. Uh, I'll start with this first one, and I'm sort of an advantage. I actually usually catch uh, big chunks of Brady's show. Brady and Bruce Murray have, a, have an awesome show on Sirius XM. I encourage all you guys to check it out. I believe it's 11 to 2. Is that right, Brady, 11 to 3, something like that? Uh, 11 to 3. 11, 11 to three. 3. I wish it was 11 to 2. Next <laughs> hour's piece, man. There you go. But, uh, but usually, just for my per- personal schedule, I end up in the car a lot during that time. And, and usually on a normal week, I come into our podcast, and I have a general sense either from Brady and I having spoken or having picked up on some of the same material that they would have had to talk to on his show. But I haven't heard it this week. I, for, I, had, I didn't catch any of your segments, just probably the run around doing Christmas stuff and having a weird schedule. But So I don't know where you stand on these, but we'll start with, and which I think might make it a little more interesting, we'll start with the Leonard Fournette and the, the Christian McCaffrey thing. It's sort of a story that cross sort of college football and NFL stuff and became just sort of a big sporting world debate about whether or not players who who have declared for the NFL and both of these guys have are now not going to attend their bowl game and in part the, sort of the, the reasoning that they've given publicly is you know to protect themselves and to begin preparing and to not have that inherent risk of potentially getting injured in a bowl game so where do you stand on this how did sort of you receive that news and, and, and what are your thoughts been since it's gone down Well, there's a bunch of different ways to look at it. So I'm going to try to paint the entire picture if I can. Uh, But I think I'm more on the side of the players, as in Christian McCaffrey and Leonard Fournette. Here's why. Let's first off not overlook the fact that it's kind of hypocritical for us not to say anything to Tom Herman or about any other coach that chooses to leave to go get more money at another school and take another job and then not coach his team in the bowl game. Now, whether you think that's right or wrong, that's beside the point. But if we're going to hold players accountable for you know leaving their team to go on to prepare for the NFL to essentially get paid, then we should be holding these coaches the same. So that's kind of point one that makes me feel like it's a little bit hypocritical for us to condemn the players but not the coaches. Right. The next point of it is you know everyone kind of talks about and former players have come out and said this. Chris Carter you know was on a couple different shows talking about it. Ezekiel Elliott tweeted about it. Even Jalon Smith tweeted uh, tweeted about it, which 
his case is probably the most specific why a lot of people maybe have been more motivated to want to skip their bowl game because he tore his ACL last year in the Fiesta Bowl versus Ohio State. He was a surefire top ten pick. He dropped to the second round. Now, I'm going to use his example first because it's interesting. You know, he came back and basically said, if I could do it all over again, I'd still play in the game, which to me, I think it's a lie. I think you say that for public <laughs> perception and all those things because what are you going to admit? If you knew you were going to tear your ACL, do you think you'd really go back and play in that game? There's right. no chance you'd go back because not only one did it alter the amount of money you get paid in that first contract, but who knows how it's going to impact the rest of his career. He hasn't even been on the field yet for the Dallas Cowboys. So we'll see. Now, the one caveat to it is he did receive $900,000 from the insurance policy um, that he took out before that season or either before the bowl game. Either way, he did receive a nice little lump sum chunk of money. So maybe in the short term he was excited about that, and that's why he doesn't mind it too much because he had the insurance policy in place. Now, as far as Chris Carter, Ezekiel Elliott, guys like that, this is the ultimate hypocritical hot take that's out there because these are two guys in particular, they just both happen to go to Ohio State, who left a year early. You're sitting there and complaining about these guys skipping an exhibition game, a bowl game that's irrelevant to their team success, probably even next year's ranking or this year's for that matter, yet you skipped an entire season of eligibility for your university, for your teammates, or the guys you came in in your class? How ridiculous is that take? Like, for, like, like for real, you're going to sit there and, and get down on Christian McCaffrey or Leonard Fournette, who, by the way, you can make the case, the only reason those teams are in a bowl game is because of those two players. And when they were injured earlier this year, that each team kind of struggled. Now, maybe LSU not so much because Darius Geis came in and he played well, but that's beside the point. At the end of the day, how can anyone who left college early condemn anyone for then skipping a bowl game because they don't want to put their body at risk? I mean, right. let's think about this. When you're a running back, and you know this from, from being a, you know, you know, playing uh, the defense, defense you know, throughout your career um, as well, like, you know, you're the hammer. A, a running back is the nail. He is the one who's taking <laughs> right. all the abuse. So when, for example, Miles Garrett, who he'll be a top-round draft pick after the bowl game, after he declares for the draft, out of Texas A&M, he's a defensive end. When he declares that he's going to go play in the bowl game, it's like, well, okay, I, I get that. You're basically chasing down quarterbacks. No one's trying to target you like they are Christian McCaffrey and Leonard Fournette. So it, it's a little bit different. And let's be honest, whose career is going to be more impacted by an ACL tear or an Achilles uh, tear? It's going to be a running back because they have to cut, they have to move, they have to do all those things in space. That's going to be different from a defensive player, especially some of those bigger players on the D-line or O-line. So at, at the end of the day, to me, I think anyone who's going to sit there and try to say that Christian McCaffrey or Leonard Fournette is being selfish or they're doing something you know, against their teammates' praise, one, it's not true because teammates have come out and support. But two, they have every right to be selfish. This is the one time in their life they're able to, and they're able to make this on an individual basis. I think both players feel like it's what's in their best interest. And for a guy like Leonard Fournette, he's got a daughter. He wants to move on. He wants to make sure that he can you know, make as much as he can to give his daughter the best life possible. And I don't think anyone should be able to condemn him for making that decision. So all the way around, I'm, I'm in support of these players doing what they're doing. People may not like it, but at the end of the day, if it was a New Year's Six Bowl, maybe even in the college football playoff, I think they'd probably play in those games. But because they're exhibition games, it doesn't really matter, and I don't think anyone else should care either. 
Interesting take, and I, I think I'm with you for just about all of it. I think one of the, but just maybe for different reasons, I guess. Uh, one of the things that I, I think, I don't know if misperception is the right word. I just think that the, 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 the atmosphere of college football has changed so dramatically from some of the older takes that you'd get. You know, players that are even our generation or even older than us that have come out publicly and said, you know, with some some version of commitment or some version of team or some reason a version of this is you don't play sports to give up on your brothers. You know, something along those lines. And you hear statements like that, and I think it's valid, but it doesn't apply here. And I, I think you know the reason we played sports as kids. You would never give up on your team. You would never walk away from a portion of a season. You would never walk out during a game for some consideration of a future league or something like that. All those things, they're sort of inherent ethics in sports still apply. Absolutely valid. But what's different about college football is that the bowl games are not extensions of the season. I, I like the word you used, exhibition. I think there's sort of a misnomer out there that it's sort of the, the, the playoff game or something for them for what they did in the regular season. They exist entirely outside of it. You don't, and it's they're exhibitions that are put on for money. And they really are. I think we sort of have to get to the point where we realize what they are. When there was ten bowl games, well, maybe a little less of that. Now it's just that there are so many of them, and they're put on to make revenue. That's it. It's not. It's not a placement thing relative to all the other bowls. It, it's almost like a prize for for players to get to go to them, but then they're not paid for them. So it's not. It, I guess my my view would sort of cut this way if we're talking about and this these instances are rare but maybe Carson Wentz would be an example Carson Wentz is at an FCS program his playoff games are legitimately tied to his regular season right at North Dakota State so in the event that say a year ago North Dakota State is advancing to Frisco Texas for the championship game of the FCS and he says you know what I'm not going to play this week because I want to protect my draft status I would think entirely different of that because that game is an extension of all that they did prior to get to that point. Bowl games aren't that. Bowl games are TV revenue. Uh, bowl games are just this sort of phony exhibition that's put on that gives a nice check to both schools and gives a vacation to the kids that they get a duffel bag full of stuff for and that's it. And no new money. So I don't buy the argument that the scholarship is somehow attached to the bowl game. It's not because the scholarship was the same when the bowl game didn't exist. It's just more it's more revenue and no more compensation so i don't feel like any scholarship uh, obliges you to take part in that bowl as well it's extra that you're not getting paid for so i think your obligation with your team ends when the regular season ends so then you have to at that point make a very personal decision i think both these guys made the right one for themselves and you you make a great example there too by tying in the coach thing that the coaches are not attached to it either it'd be one thing again if if an fcs coach FCS coach left uh, because, you know, it, that's an extension of their season. This isn't. Uh, you know, maybe in the instance of these teams that are in the college football playoff, it would rub you differently. But, shoot, if you're one of those teams, you're probably not switching jobs. So yeah. uh, I, I think this conversation will have more juice if a team in the college football playoff at one point does it. Like if you you can imagine if, you know, a quarterback from Alabama or a running back from Ohio State who's now advanced to that playoff and decides to do it, maybe then we have a little different conversation. But I'm sorry, these other things are just half of them are invented bowls. They're just invented exhibitions to figure out a way to make some cash. And that, that to me, I just think sits way outside the purview of any of these things we're talking about, like ethics you learned in at YMCA football or something. You know, it's just it's just not yeah. that. These, these are new and different things. 
Yeah, and, and, and you've got to look at it, too. When you talk about past players or former players, here's the biggest difference. When they played, stadiums were kind of built, and then they hung around there for about 20, 30 years sometimes. There really wasn't many renovations done. As far as their facilities, those were their facilities. Right. It wasn't like they were in this arms race that we see in college football nowadays. So really what you're seeing is, because you're talking about money, is all generated from these TV deals and really from the stars and from the players. That's all going to the universities. That's all going to these facilities and, and to these stadium renovations and everything else that we see. I mean, they are basically riding the backs of these players in order to you know, get that funding and, and entice people to want to make donations or invest in all of that. And the reason why that's significant is because that wasn't happening in the old days. So all these guys sitting here trying to talk about how it's selfish and this and that, it's a different age of college football. I mean, right. these players, they are the minor league system for the NFL. Right. I mean, you know, you could make the case that back in the day, the NFL had more development before free agency and before some of the different changes in our collective bargaining agreement because players stayed on a, on a roster longer. And they were, when they were backups, when they were rookies, they were never expected to play. Those right. guys were legitimately there to be developed. All that has changed. These guys are expected right out of college. To, if they're drafted, especially in the first round, they better have an impact. Not only right. is the team expecting that, the fans are, the other, the other teammates on the players are on the team. So all that's changed. These guys, in order to be able to be successful at the next level, they kind of have to be able to make sure they're, one, healthy after their college football season, but, two, give themselves the best opportunity. And why would you ever want to put any of that at risk? I mean, let's, let's be honest. If we're, you know, if we're trying to make some sort of an investment, why would we ever – ever take the risk where our upside in this case, I mean, is what? Like, what is either one of these guys going to prove by this exhibition game, this bowl game that we're talking about? Nothing. Right when they stepped on the field as as freshmen, they first hit the scene, we knew they were a very, very valuable asset. They'd be a valuable commodity. So now as you're looking at projecting them forward, your downside risk is big time. I mean, you tell me, Matt, what's the difference between being a top 10, you know, draft pick like Jalen Smith would have been and then slipping to the second round? It's a significant amount of money, and that's what we're talking about. I have no idea, uh, from a financial sense, people don't see this as a no-brainer. Yeah, and it's something where I always look at things differently because, you know, I had to play all those years that I played to accumulate cash that some people can easily make in a year or two. So sort of that point, one to two is, you know, if you are if you fall a, a round or two, because it's so top-heavy now, you know, the draft is really smooth. There's a pretty There's a pretty big cliff once you get past a certain level. Then it's like, okay, to get back to that compensation level, you got to play like many more years, <laughs> you know, <laughs> And that's yes. mileage, and that's and that's tough to do. I mean, it's just it's a it's a jungle out there. You, it's really difficult to to put those years back to back, and you're 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 a fun you're fungible, so that they can move on from you at any moment. So if you can get it in one big spot, I just I just think that the the, the thing has changed. It has, and yeah, for better or worse, that's just what it is. And I think we kind of have to realize it and 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 understand that. I think the kids are actually being pretty reasonable. I think in the way they are. So I wanted to to, to hit you up from another angle on this and. Uh, 
this is more, uh, I don't know if it makes me militant. Uh, you know how much I stand out about some of the, the problems in the NFL. But I, I think there are issues with, with the NCAA here as well where this thing continues to grow. I don't think it's going back the other direction. I think these bowl games and finding ways to monetize them, finding ways to maybe juice a little more of the licensing fees or broadcast fees or whatever it is, and, and especially with like fantasy football, especially with like you know the gambling becoming a little more nouveau in a lot of places and a little more accepted. I mean, we've seen gambling laws sort of under under siege, not under siege, but expanding, I think, in a lot of places. There's a lot of interesting litigation going on out there where it's becoming more acceptable in some markets. We'll see where that goes, but my, my point in saying that is it does push more revenue towards these games. It does sort of change the formula. How How do you see a college kid is sort of having influence to ever change the current formula if they don't play or if they don't at some point not play. I guess I see this thing and I know it's for different cause. I know Fournette and McCaffrey are actually doing it for health that this probably sits out that whole conversation of being take advantage of and all that kind of stuff. But, we had the conversation with the North, Northwestern players a few years ago where they tried to unionize and all that and tried to do some sort of college football players union. Kind of fell apart, really sort of had a, a small little ripple, but never became a tidal wave. And and now I think we sit in this place where talk shows and, and podcasts like ours talk about this stuff each year, but it, it really never happens. We can we can complain and whine a little bit that they get taken advantage of, but they never really use or have leverage to ever change the formula. And I always wondered if it's not something that I think could be decided in real time. I don't think you could ever get to the point where, say, hey, in the late December Everyone hop on a conference call and, you know what, everyone, we're not going to play in the bowl game until we're compensated 12% of gate or 12% of TV revenue spread across for all players or something like that. I think it's something that would have to be decided in May you know, or June or something where you could get all the players together and say, you know, the only way we'll ever get a part of this is if collectively we say we're not walking on that field because you're going to always get in a situation where one school is less less willing to do it, like Washington. They've never been in this before. Those guys are never going to, in the moment, now make a decision to possibly sit until it changes. But do you think there's ever – is it even – plausible to get a bunch of college kids to get their heads together in the offseason and say, hey, that's where we're being taken advantage of the most. We need to sort of do one swift movement, or is it just too disjointed to ever have that similar thought? Uh, I, I think that it's, it's disjointed, but it's actually it's changing a little bit, and it's because of you know all these camps, the rivals, the, the Nike stuff, the opening, all that, all, all those camps you hear about, these stars now know each other. Right. So it, once they get into school, it, w- it would be a, a couple of ways you could go about doing this. It would, one, be a group of them getting together and essentially saying, hey, this is what we're doing, and we're going to be responsible for each one of our teams, and we're going to be responsible for telling them that, you know, basically here's the deal. You know, I'm, I'm striking. You're going to strike with me. You're going to fall on my back so we can all try to unionize, try to make this happen. Now, that might seem kind of unlikely to be able to get people to do it nationwide, right, without one unifying voice or someone there, too, to ensure that the message is consistent, right, and, and that everyone is on the same page, um, which isn't that hard today with the communication, how easy it is. But at the same time, um, you wouldn't want to have anyone across the country kind of slipping up. You don't want to be on the same page. Sometimes it's easier to iron that stuff out in person. Yeah, crossing so, a picket line, something then, like that. Yeah, so it then leads me to think that it's maybe not it's, not it's not about a player. Maybe it's about a coach. Maybe it's about someone like Nick Saban 
kind of realizing, like, this is eventually going to happen. So if it's eventually going to happen, maybe I should be more open to it, and maybe I should be one of the you know people to try to champion it, get behind my team and some of my leaders, and try to push them. I mean, how many you know players out there are prospects? If you're looking for a reason to want to go for a co or go to a school, would not want to you know go for a coach who's trying to get those guys paid in college and be a part of that. Right. Now that might be more difficult than you think. Uh, but at some point, you'd have to think that well, some coach is going to champion this, and maybe it will work. And I think the part of the problem with the Northwestern attempt was the fact that it's Northwestern. At the end of the day, I don't know that they moved the needle in the realm of college football as much. Now, if you got something like Nick Saban in Alabama, that's like a whole entire you know different story, right? Now you're right. talking about what, what looks to be somewhat of a dynasty. So that makes it a little bit different. Uh, but at, at this point in time, it just seems like it's unlikely unless – you're able to have that star power, and they're all able to get together and, get, and accomplish this and get this done, or have a big-time head coach or maybe even a group of head coaches that are utilizing this to their advantage to try to make sure that, you know, one, they're not going to receive uh, any flack from the universities, but two, um, they're going to receive their, their support from the, the different high school coaches association, right? Because those are big. I mean, the Texas High School Football Coaches Association is huge. Um, that was one of the, the first hires um, that that the, the new head coach at Baylor actually made. He brought him on board on staff there, which was, like, huge, not only for recruiting, but just that sway in the state of Texas when it comes to all that. But, you know, what, let me just say this quickly. They have already changed the game a little bit. If you actually look at the fact that, like, for example, if I was going to take out an insurance policy when I, when I was coming out, right, I had to pay for it myself. The premium was very high. That market wasn't very competitive. And it was expensive. Nowadays, the university will pay for it. They'll pay for it on your behalf. They have kind of a discretionary fund for this. And if they deem you based on, you know, what you get graded as, you know, as far as a potential NFL prospect, for example, like whether it's Royce Freeman who decided to come back to Oregon, he'll definitely be getting an insurance policy or anyone else. Once they get that grade, once they get that feedback back from um, that, that independent, independent, you know, committee, then they can sit there and say, okay, like this is what I, I basically could be this year, and I'm choosing to come back and fulfill you know, my promise to you guys of, of playing all four years of my eligibility, getting my degree and all of that. So it'll help me out, help me kind of prevent the risk or the downside of if I get injured and I lose value and my draft is high. Universities will do that now. That's changed. So uh, you know, kudos to at least the universities adapting to that and realizing that they need to try to keep these stars at their level as long as they can because – that's part of the reason why people like tuning in. I think people love college football, but they also love seeing those stars right. be able to play for their alma mater and try to win a Heisman, win a national championship, and all that good stuff. Yeah, I always wonder here, too, how this sort of, like the Petri, Petri dish kind of situations. You, you, you touched on sort of the limitations of what could get done with Northwestern. I think in some instances you you take a kid from, well, not from Alabama, but Alabama is going to have an incredibly diverse group. They're basically picking the best players from all over the country that might come from wildly different backgrounds. The kid that's going to Northwestern is different. <laughs> he's a he's yeah. a 4-0 student in high school, even if regardless of monetary situation where he came from, once he gets that degree from Northwestern, life is good. Not, not you know, it's not a free ride, but I think you're you're sitting in a tremendously good spot. There are a lot of other universities in the country where that, that's not necessarily the case. You go into the into the mill and you're one of many and good luck, you know. But North, Northwestern kids, I, I think it, it takes a really driven person, uh, someone who has a 
little desperation uh, rather than a Northwestern kid who says, eh, if I don't do this, and eh, they might be screwing me, but I'm going to be working for, you know, I'm going to be getting six figures in whatever firm I'm joining here in, in, in six months anyway, so whatever, you know. I think you need the kid that's like, man, I'm sick of being taken advantage of. I can't do it. Now, when I mentioned sort of the Petri dish situation, it was interesting to watch the Minnesota Golden Gophers thing where they were, they had threatened to not play in the Holiday Bowl, uh, in part because a bunch of their teammates, I think the number was like 10 or something like that, had been suspended for some sort of, correct me if I'm wrong, Brady, a, a sexual assault uh, accusation of some correct. sort? Is that right? Yeah, okay. correct. So, again, that's not the best example in the world, obviously, because some sort of infraction obviously did happen. And I think they pulled back once they realized, wow, the the details are pretty sorted and we're well, this is maybe not the thing we want to fight behind. But it did for the first time show me or at least I think illustrate publicly if you're one of these players, say you're a sophomore or junior here sort of with these thoughts sort of roaming around your head saying, how can we ever change this? The panic that set in when the Holiday Holiday Bowl realized they might not have the Gophers, even if it was just a 48-hour, 72-hour sort of cycle where it's like, oh, crap. And imagine if you're... I don't know who had the game, if it was if it was ESPN or Fox or CBS or whoever, but imagine if you paid for the rights of that particular game and you'd put out a couple million bucks or a few million bucks or, you know, and all the production crew uh, sort of particulars that have to go into making sure you're pulling that thing off. All the planning, all the money, all, all the bowl committee stuff, all the people in that host city, I think San Diego in that case, and all the months and months of work that's been put in towards putting that performance on, and the kids can walk away. And how much incredible leverage do they have in that situation, even if this ended up not going on? But I think it was a pretty good illustration of the power that players have that they don't realize they have. So it's almost as if you're you're going to have this conversation in May um, without sort of the impending doom of something not happening. The the terms you'll get, even if you can get yourself paid a thousand bucks here, two thousand bucks here, or five for the year, or ten, or whatever it would be, uh, is still going to be mild relative to the walk in a moment because the disruption you can cause at the tail end of that things is, you know, huge, monstrous type stuff where you can completely wipe out a, a TV market, millions and billions of dollars potentially that that will will have changed hands so or at least that are at stake so i just thought that was a, a cool little moment to watch how invested the other side is in pulling this off and if you know you're mad about just getting a duffel bag and maybe you know some t-shirts or sweatshirts that's the moment or that was something that i think players should look back to and say wow you know what we have a lot of power we just never used it and it's it's a there's a fear factor involved i completely get that you're a young kid they might threaten you with your scholarship but here's the thing if if you know several thousand students or student athletes across the country do it collectively they're they can't go to some other kid to give them because that kid would have walked as well so i don't know i just thought it was like and again this is very anarchist and it's not it's not probably very likely but i think it's something that that if it ever had was going to change there there is it's not crazy it's just i think the difficulty of pulling it off i also like the idea you said with with tom herman or or, or sort of mentioning the coach angle I, i think that's another thing where where if a player the coach is not going to be judged for for not walking right for walking right and you, you were sort of making the point that the idea that you know a player doesn't or doesn't play in that game it's not going to affect w- however they're perceived on the next level in the in the instance of Tom Herman it's actually a pretty good example because i think the good feelings about that coach were made in the run they made a year ago and then they were pretty strong this year but i think sort of the what people thought about Tom Herman had sort of already solidified. He was in that conversation for stuff he'd done far prior to it. They didn't look very good in the last week of the season.
season that, you know, they, they kind of fell off. So I think that's a pretty good lesson to say that, you know, it's not for any of these kids that are deciding whether or not to do it, even if it was to make a statement or to protect yourself, the decision on you has pretty much been made <laughs> before you get there. So it's not yeah. as if you'll really harm yourself, but all right, we spent a lot of time on this, but I think that's okay. I think it's an important topic, and I think it's someone, one that we'll probably revisit here at some point. It'll never go away in, in, until it changes. But we'll get into a little bit of NFL griping here, which in the Christmas season, we're trying to keep it upbeat, so we'll try to keep this positive. But the Ezekiel Elliott stuff was was interesting on several levels because it has a – and I'm, what I'm talking about is when he jumps into the, the Salvation Army uh, bucket there, uh, a completely harmless sort of – timeless kind of feeling moment where he, where he jumps into the Salvation Army thing. It gives him a great uh, sort of free ad space for, for Salvation Army. There There's donations, bump, all these things. But you obviously know that you, you can't celebrate with a prop. And the NFL, and, and Odell Beckham Jr. comes out and complains. Antonio Brown comes out and complains. There's There's... I don't know if they're even the best examples because they got there's a been for twerking and punching things and whatever, but there's 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 examples all over the league, probably in the dozens, if not hundreds, of people who have been fined for much less as far as using use of a prop. And I'm thinking of myself in in a situation I I had my my share of fines in the NFL, and if there was an instance where I know I got fined for something that is in the same fine class as that, and they don't find someone else because of the negative PR they would have drawn from doing it, uh, I'd be furious. I'd be calling, either talking to my PA rep uh, buddy in the locker room, or I'd be calling my, my regional right off right after that and saying, give my money back, you know, because I had $10,000 taken me from doing the exact same thing he did, and he doesn't. And, and it's really sort of the bedrock of why we have fines in the NFL. If it's, if it's sort of arbitrarily applied, how can you possibly have them? I'm curious sort of what your take was on that and, and sort of how you saw that old deal. Yeah, I mean, look, we've, we've seen the NFL do this in a bunch of inconsistent ways, right? And, and my, my understanding is, like, I don't understand what their gripe is with that particular rule, right, as far as celebration and everything else. Like, what is that taking away from the game, the integrity of the game or the NFL, the shield, anything? We always hear that all the time about the NFL. I just don't understand you know, where they feel like that is hurting the game in any way. I mean, especially in an era where, regardless of how they want to spell the fact that now ratings are back up after the election, um, it, to me, I, I think they've just somewhat plateaued. I mean, they've kind of got the demographic that wants to watch NFL. Maybe they're getting burnt out by too much, seeing some of the primetime games the way they've gone this year, in particular Monday Night Football. But, you know, for the most part, you're, you're sitting here watching it saying, what's wrong with that? You put it down on the field. All right, you've got an owner's you know, what? What his his I believe is is it his sister, Jerry Jones' sister, who's heavily involved in the Salvation Army. Uh, I'm not sure. It's like, like a spokesperson. That kind of thing. they talked about that throughout the broadcast. So okay. it's just ridiculous. It's just it's just ridiculous at the end of the day. You know how they've gone about trying to. You know, I, I guess I don't know. Try to, try to give off some sort of element of, of, of this actually taking away from what the NFL is trying to build or damaging their product in any sort of way. It's just it's not the case, and I, I think it, it would bring probably a more millennial, which is the largest demographic or the largest age you know, group in the country now, um, and it would bring you know, a lot of fun to the game, something that we're kind of missing out on now. And I think we always kind of heard it's the no-fun league. It's literally becoming that at this point, at least when I came to the league like in 07. You know, Chad Johnson eventually became Chad Ochocinco, and 
Yeah. He was still doing these ridiculous things on the sideline, and it was kind of funny, and it, it was entertainment because that's the point. That's what we're missing right now. As much as we want to say this is about football, this this, this is about entertainment. That's what this right. is. This game is a, a live form of television and entertainment. I think we're we're getting away from that for whatever reason. Yeah, and I, I say this, and as we're recording this show, this was news that's you know only about it's less than twenty four hours. It's sort of something that came overnight. Uh, but Odell Beckham Jr. was fined eighteen thousand dollars for wearing Craig Sager shoes last week. So something sort of uh, honoring Craig. He has sort of the multicolored shoes, and he was fined eighteen thousand dollars. I don't care if you're a millionaire. I don't care how much money you make. Eighteen grand for not wearing the shoes, we think, is stupid. It's just, it's just dumb, and it's just, it's this idea. And again, I, I did a, a thing I called Ranta Clause. I put a video up on YouTube on FBF this week, so so check that out. And I won't make you listen to my take on this twice. I'll try to keep it a little different, but I, I think in part, it's just the league not getting it and and you see this in sort of product development you see this in sort of i'm talking just other world non-sports where you have a a successful product and, and you become arrogant with sort of the the bulletproofness of that product and you antagonize your your customer you you just you you play chicken with them it's the phrase i used on the video where i think you sort of you're you're daring your audience to stop liking you you know and they do this over and over and over again you 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 self-promoted they 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 went out and made ads about how wonderful they were for allowing players to do the my cleats my cause thing and if it wasn't done on their terms though they'll take money away from the players that that's insane it's just insane it's i know a lot of the guys that have the a couple here for our team anyway that for the patriots that that are the sideline guys who check uniforms and they roll their eyes at this stuff. They don't. They don't want to be a part of taking money from some guy who's trying to do something nice and it, or do something that's that's good and honorable. And and in a moment that the NFL says you can only be good and honorable on our terms, that that's scumbaggery. That's that's just that's just terrible. And I think people see through it. it, it and the brand is taking an absolute battering. But because they're the only player, they survive it. But I just think it's really really poor leadership to continue to antagonize your fan base and to antagonize the people that that play for you that are meant to entertain those people. If at some point either of those groups completely turns on you, the whole house of cards can come down. And I, I just think that it's it's incredibly unwise for them not to figure this out. The Elliott thing just sort of proves that that hey, they'll they'll be arbitrary. They'll they'll completely change on a dime if uh if they think the blowback would be too much. But uh, there was actually a really interesting column written here in our market. Um I can't uh I can't say exactly want to give you the link, but it it was uh, a guy named Michael Hurley here for CBS wrote something about the idea that Roger Goodell has sort of given up on the integrity and consistency thing. It's something we always hear him say, but several of these last little rulings he'd done, unless he's completely brain dead, which we know he's not, he has to understand that they're they're inconsistent. So they're just not going to beat that drum anymore. It's not about a consistency or it's not about consistency. It's just about whatever I say. And we're kind of at that point. We're, we're kind of at that point. And the other element, too, is, you know, some of the best ideas actually have come from the players, not from the NFL have. as far as different yeah. campaigns. So you're, you're limiting that creativity. You're limiting that ability to be able to actually look cool and trendy and, and really brand the NFL in a very neat way. I mean, players have been doing this, this sort of thing to their, their cleats for a while. I mean, think about Cam Hayward. Um, he was one of the guys who kind of started that talking about, I believe, his father. And, and the yeah. eye black and all that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, yeah. these are different causes and things they could champion and really get around. 
but because it's not their idea, they have to cry about it and they have to make a big deal about it because it doesn't fall within the guidelines that they set out. So that, that's the kind of thing that really kind of strikes me as ignorant to the whole situation is they're limiting the league's ability to kind of grow and adapt and, and kind of actually be kind of more trendier and cooler and hipper. And again, once again, appeal to a younger generation of fans, which, that, look, you can make the case too, when you're losing out on viewership, Maybe some of it's just the fact that if you look at the college level, when people go to college, they are immediately kind of branded into their school. So whether they like right. football or not, they'll probably right. go to the games. They'll probably watch and all that. But as far as the NFL, maybe they don't have that father figure, that mom or dad or whatever, that they kind of got around or, or took them to games and all that. Maybe yeah. they just, you know, or maybe they moved to a city to go work and they really have no attachment to the Giants or Jets yep. or something like that. I mean, that's the bottom line, too. Make it where you're trying to find some sort of connection with, a younger generation because you're losing out a little bit on that. Yeah, you're you're daring them not to join in with you. I mean, you're basically yeah. saying, uh, you know, this we stand for this, and why do we stand for this? No good reason. It's just because it's what we say, and we said so, and you have to follow us because we said so. And and it goes back to I'll say the dirty word deflategate, but I mean what they what they want in that court battle was the ability to be arbitrary, the ability to to say whatever we say and it has to be done even if it's nonsensical even if it violates precedent even if it just if it if if it if it goes against some other ruling doesn't matter we've negotiated the right to do whatever we want and that makes for bad product i mean i would i don't know the exact history on this but somebody sometime uh, put forward this new formula for new coke somebody in some marketing department thought that hey we can do something different than what our core product is and it'll be gangbusters for us well the, the market at at some point can became outraged and they lost people in in flight going to drink Pepsi or whatever. And I think that's kind of what the NFL is doing. They're, they're trying to make something that nobody wants. Nobody wants what they're doing. There, there, there's not a, a player. There's not a fan base. There's not a group of players. I don't even know if there's a group of coaches that's endorsing this idea of, hey, if he, he wears those cleats, we're going to need money for that. Hey, hey, if he, if, he, uh, if he makes a bow and arrow motion, we're going to need cash for that. We don't need children. I mean, if you're the person that thinks that, you're, you're, you're the bunkered weirdo that, that lives underground and is preparing for the apocalypse. That, that's a weird dude. <laughs> that's not someone who's anywhere near the mainstream of America. So if it happens to be one of those 32 or a collection of the 32 owners that's pushing that notion or one old coach that's on the competition committee or whoever it is you're outside the mainstream so you shouldn't be making product decisions in this instance it's an entertainment product but you just don't get it and and i think that's that's dangerous to have something that you know for guys like you and me our, our future sort of you know funds and you know all the all the uh, all, all of our future and retirement funds and things like that i don't want to th- see this thing go go liquid 20 years from now because they they dared their fans to finally leave and something happens and this whole thing falls down i don't want to see that over just really really dumb leadership and that 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 part drives me nuts i i really have a hard time if you don't have a good reason for why you're doing it stop it it's it's really that simple but okay we went long on a lot of these topics but i think it makes for a great show i think this is really interesting stuff so we're going to kind of stay off of getting into the game breakdown stuff for the week we'll we'll spend next show sort of next week's show kind of talking about what what came out of the weekend because we got two weekends to go and you're really going to see how things get tied up here in the end i i do have to ask you this question because 
you're particularly helpful, I think, in this because you are a quarterback. You've had the, the communications in your helmet, having sort of the radio communications. And obviously the, the story here I'm alluding to is the, the Giants head coach, uh, Ben McAdoo, and getting penalized for the walkie-talkie thing where uh, once the internal communication stuff from the league goes down, uh, they went and grabbed uh, same frequency walkie-talkie and continued to talk with Eli Manning on the field for five full plays, maybe right up until the snap. We don't know, but he got an incredibly mild penalty. We don't need to do a whole the NFL is hypocritical thing. I think that's sort of beyond even worth debating. I'm just more interested in your view of the mechanics of this, of uh, the necessary aspect of having the communications in your helmet, or, or do you think a football team could operate without even having them so that this sort of potential specter of, of, of cheating wasn't there or just sort of how important is that? How would it switching over to walkie talkie matter for you? How would all of that affect your play? Well, okay. Let's just start off with this on the sidelines. Typically like if, if like a, a heated bench goes out and both teams have it, the other team is supposed to actually turn theirs off, right? It's supposed right. to be equal. Um, there's not supposed to be any sort of competitive advantages given in any sort of fashion or form on the sideline. The issue with the helmet and the uh, talk to the quarterback or whatever you want to call it in that system is it goes out. It, it It's not that dependable. I don't know why. It's 2016, by the way. Like how we can't figure that out yet. We've got Elon Musk trying to put people on Mars is a bit ridiculous. But <laughs> nevertheless, um, so so that's not consistent. So the hard part is is like, it will go in and out throughout the course of a game where sometimes it'll work, sometimes it won't. And, and then you're sitting there basically, you know, trying to either run over to the sideline if you can to, to get the call, or you have a wristband, which smart teams do that, right? They have a wristband in this case. Right. So they just signal in the play call they want. Uh, a smart team, and as in the New England Patriots, they do this. The New York Giants, they do not. So well, I'll just throw <laughs> that out there. And could you imagine that if this actually was the New England Patriots who did this and not the oh, Giants, the kind I of can't. backlash and all this and how it would be broken down? Uh, by the media and how you know outlandish the type of remarks we'd hear, but at the end of the day, um, it, it wasn't. It was the Giants. So again, they just kind of give them a slap on the wrist. The, the thing that's I guess most important to know with the walkie-talkie, they can't monitor the cutoff at 15 seconds. So technically, Ben McAdoo, if he wanted to, could talk to Eli Manning in his, in his headset the entire time up until the snap of the football. So that's really where it it could supposedly become an unfair advantage. Here's the issue. If I'm Eli Manning, I've won two Super Bowls, I've played long enough in the league, I don't want a guy in my ear. Like, if you're trying to tell me what I should check to or what you want to do and all that, then maybe I shouldn't be out there starting in the first place at this point in my career where you just don't trust me enough. There needs to be a conversation to be had because it doesn't make any sense to have a guy out there with his experience uh, being able to get that sort of communication that – we're talking about to give him some sort of advantage because he's going to be out there and able to audible and get his team into the right play if he wants. All right. That's why you entrust him and empower him with that position. So it's kind of a little bit of a misnomer as far as like, Oh, well, they can talk to him all the way down to zero. Well, who cares? I right. mean, have you ever tried to do anything with someone talking in your ear the entire <laughs> right, time, right, let alone right. a quarterback who's responsible for all these different things? Yeah. I wouldn't want anyone talking in my ear, like shut up, up, get out of my ear. Let me do my job, man. So, it's a little bit overblown as far as the advantage that they get, but it's hard to kind of implement a strategy in which you'd be able to make it fair for both teams because you can't necessarily cut it out for the other side as far as their coach and quarterback system because it happens throughout the course of the game. Then it will come back. Then it will right. go. Then it will come back. So it, it would just be too much of a hassle to try to figure all that out. Um, so that's kind of the issue with it in the end. But 
I don't think it was that big of an issue, but I, I never think a lot of these things are that big of an issue. I, at the end of the day, it comes down to the execution on the field. Yeah, I, I guess the, my 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 view is probably colored by why I work here, but because I've seen the league's reaction to other stuff, and and one of if, if you look at sort of the 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 sort of entire landscape of any time they've gone after something they perceive as cheating, probably one of the most mild things you could ever get at. And again, I remember I played for the Jets when this happened, and I was on the opposite sideline staring at the cameras in the so-called Spygate thing. That, to me, is has taken the biggest punishment uh, ever in the history of the league for, for air quotes, cheating. And it, it, it does almost nothing. Like, it's literally, it, 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 Coach Belichick has, has joked about this and sort of made his sort of sardonic comments like he likes to do about 80,000 people were witnessing. We weren't spying anything. And, and it's true. I, I see the guy. I know where the guy was standing. It's just you were filming from a spot you're not allowed to. But, you know, all 80,000 people can do the exact same thing. Thing. It's completely legal to stand and stare at him with a with a pair of binoculars and just take notes and say he touched his arm, they ran this coverage. He touched his shoulder, they ran this one. He touched his ear, then his shoulder, they ran this one. It's just all it is is an administrative shortcut to pulling the stuff together for the next week. And to be honest, half the times the signals change anyway. It's just something they like to do, but it has so little effect. In game, you can't do anything because they're not referencing that. It's just happening. So that was incredibly mild, and they went bonkers about it. You know, name it, spy this, spy that. And it made people go nuts that, you know, games were somehow being thrown or done. You know, the results were were poisoned somehow. And that set this all off. It was this massive overreaction that really was more about defying a league memo and defying league authority than it was about the sort of the, the real gravity of what was happening. And it gives fans a false perception. I think we, we end up in these situations with all of these. We've seen it with the deflate stuff. The, first and foremost, the NFL doesn't know how their own balls work, which should have been the most embarrassing thing in the world that they would want to cover up. But beyond that, they gave this impression that a PSI high or low is somehow affecting the outcomes of games. And it, it's clearly been demonstrated over and over again that it doesn't friggin' matter. Like, you know, they played better in the second half. They've they played gangbusters since then with more watch on them. Some of the numbers with it were actually worse. So it, it's, it's been proven that it's overblown. And it's probably the same thing here with this walkie-talkie thing. Do I think Ben was at the last moment saying, it's cover one, you know, check out of this. Or it's, don't throw it to, to OBJ on this one, throw it to to our tight end or whatever, you know, th- that probably wasn't happening. And like you said, it would be noise in the ear that probably wouldn't be helpful. But in the sort of sphere we're talking about, potentially being able to help in play in series would be a bigger thing than any of those others. It absolutely would, but I still don't think it's big, you know? So we're sort of stuck with, you know, and and to your old team, Ray Farmer getting busted for texting the sideline. I mean, what could he possibly be texting that's actually going to change a play or a play outcome? Probably nothing, but you get into the spot where you've painted yourself in a corner. Ray Farmer is, is suspended for four games for doing that. And the play caller for the Giants, Ben McAdoo, and the head coach, the leader, isn't going to be gone. He's not going to be gone. And and they have a stretch yeah. run here now where they play two games, and he's going to get a call plays, and there'll be no penalty for it. So it, it's clearly out of whack. But it is good, and I appreciate the perspective on how helpful that stuff really is and how it can kind of be a nuisance. I can imagine yeah. as, a, as a linebacker yourself. I never had to be the green dot guy, but it's just I'm not a big fan of noise. I don't know how you are with TV, Brady. This, this might be a different segue there, but I don't like it when the producer's in my ear you know, telling me comments or even in game. I, I like at some point when I got to get my thoughts out, I don't want to hear things 
in my ear. You ever have that sort of experience when you're doing a game broadcast or if you're, you're doing a live uh, segment of some sort of studio show where you're trying to get a thought out and they're sort of, sort of leading you along and it's just those voices in my head. Maybe that's more of a me thing. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I mean, I think it's difficult for anyone to get used to, you know, because a lot of times, too, when you're speaking on air, you're kind of thinking in your head, is this on air, too? You know, is, <laughs> right. is, is, is everyone else hearing this? Or is it just me? And then once you get accustomed to that, then you're like, dude, I don't want to have to try to continue with my thought, but then listen to someone else's, too. Um, right. And at the end of the day, you know, you got to think about it, too. Like, I always feel like it's just kind of rude, you know? Like, it's like <laughs> if we're trying to have communication, we're trying to have a conversation, usually one talks, the other person listens. And then you exchange those roles. So it's yeah. funny to me when you've got a producer who's talking to you. I'm like, dude, you should be listening to what I'm saying right now because I'm helping to give you direction. <laughs> but that's a whole other story. Yeah, right. Okay, well, hey, that's, that's going to be all for this week's show. Awesome stuff, Brady. It really had a blast. So uh, give, me a, give me a sense of what you're willing to say publicly. What's, what's going down for Christmas for you guys? What do you guys got planned as a family? Not a whole lot because I got to work. You know, I've, I've, I've got to do radio Christmas night, and uh, then after that, you know, or excuse me, before that, I'm you know, doing some different stuff for uh, NFL and college football because it is bowl season. So yeah. all that sort of stuff is going on right now. So not a whole lot. Pretty low key, to be honest with you. Cool, man. Uh, well, you enjoy it. We're, for us, on our end, we uh, we do our usual. Fortunately, we just got lucky. Schedule hit the right way for us. So it's we should be done at 5 or 6 o'clock on Christmas Eve. So we get to still have our get-together with some former teammates and, and families. And we get together and do Christmas Eve that night. And Christmas is completely clear. So I actually get to watch games myself this time and, and really lap it up. So it's going to be a good time. But Merry Christmas to you and yours. And thanks for another awesome show. And uh, we will speak to you on the other side. Sounds good, brother. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. And that's all for this week's FBF podcast. As always, thank you so much for checking in. Continue to spread the good word. We love doing this show for you. Go to the website. Go to footballbyfootball.com. Check out the YouTube page directly. That's that FBF page. You can always follow us on Twitter at FBByFB. Or check out the Facebook page as well. It was Brady Quinn, former Notre Dame quarterback. Having a hard time with words today. Notre Dame quarterback and NFL quarterback. And I'm Matt Chatham. Uh, to all of you out there, thank you so much for listening in over the course of the year. Have a wonderful holiday season. Christmas, if that's your thing. If not, just getting close with family if you happen to be of another religion. But uh, really enjoy this time. And then we'll talk to you uh, on the other side. Take care out there, people. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.